It's here in the city. It's here in the city. This is here in the city. This is here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. I'm Sarah Harris. New message. Truth should be truth. But then it depends on, in the telling, whose truth is it. We're here most Tuesdays, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and mapping the city with voices of creative social change in and around Los Angeles. On Pacifica Radio, powered by the people, thanks to the generous support of you, our listeners, the capable crew at KPFK, the innovators of web-based radio at SoundCloud, news you might have missed at newsdesk.org, and the community-funded reporting project, Spot Us. You can find us on the web at here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. It's here in the city. This is the sound of roasting chiles jalapenos and garlic and sesame oil over an open fire in the middle of September. <laughs> A mile. <laughs> A mile north of downtown Los Angeles, outside, because it's too darn hot to cook inside. On Saturday, September 15th, in Los Angeles, year 2012, the thermometer downtown at the weather station stopped working at 103 degrees meaning we passed the record heat that was set in 1979, 102 degrees on this date. Sometimes I wonder when you're grown up, you're my age, how horrible it's going to be for you. Do you ever think about that? Mm-hmm. What are you eating? Oranges. Good. What do you think of cooking outside? <laughs> I like it makes me think that I'm in Jasper Park, Canada. Bueno, cuidado. Okay. So on today's show... Three, four, one, one, Holy Oak Drive. Off of the main road, you take a left, and another left at the stop sign, and then a series of rights, mostly. A group of kids are playing frisbee at the intersection. Mm, Single-family residences with green trees and empty lots and a lot of for sale signs. Up this little street is a house painted shiny gold. And it's not a house that looks like it should be shiny gold. But it's a big gold nugget sitting in the middle of a very modest, working class, hilly, green neighborhood in L.A. And it is being occupied by an artist whose name is 
Olga Kumanduras, who is a conceptual artist. Can I call you that? I guess so. Like you know, I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I work with ideas though, like conceptualists. Um. It's Sunday, and Olga is hosting a party at this house. This block I live on, and I've been here almost four years now. And I've since in my time I've been being here, I've noticed a lot of houses are empty, and I've also noticed. Um, Two, three have gone through foreclosure in the past year-ish. This house, I guess, was owned by um, Patty's family. And then, from what I understand, um, uh, her parents split. And then the dad gave it to, I think, the son. And then the son didn't want it anymore and gave it to Patty. Patty and her girlfriend then lived in it since the 80s. Did you know them? Do you know them? I know them a little. I knew them a little bit. You know, we chit-chatted a little bit. Not so much Glenda. She really wasn't very friendly. But Patty was friendly, and we did talk with her. Um, The guy who rented the back house was very helpful to us when we moved in. And when he realized Glenda had left and was abandoning the house because she didn't even talk to him, about it ahead of time and so he was kind of perplexed so that kind of brought us into the loop a little bit he wanted to figure out what to do he was sending his rent checks and he realized she wasn't cashing them so it was like a a a total abdication it seemed of the property like you know just throwing her hands up turns out there's a lot of emotional reasons and from what i'm piecing together her girlfriend died of brain cancer here in the house i think it became difficult to live here when you've shared so much of your time with someone I think economically because she was living off of Patty's pension they weren't married she wasn't eligible for survivors benefits and I think that played into her having to go back home to Kentucky and just walk away from the house yeah yeah so who owns this house that we're looking at the bank the bank took it yesterday see what happened was the house was fully paid for and they took out a second mortgage 2006. So this is this is the story of this happens to a lot of families. That family there across the street, the one that had lived there also since the 70s, multi generations. So in a nutshell, that's what this moment, this party at this house is all about. It's the reason this house is painted gold. Oh, and I guess even the final thing that clinched it was that Glenda and Patty were Irish descent. And so they had shamrock-themed objects around the house as well. So they're like, you know, American-Irish. And so that made me think of also leprechauns and leprechauns searching for the pot of gold. And then, you know, the pot of gold being at the end of the rainbow. But then that brings me to your question about why gold. Well, it wasn't the leprechaun thing, although that seems to work still um, about it being a treasure at the end of the rainbow. But it it really was about making the house a commodity and trying to make it an object, which is the way the stock market is working now. Increasingly, corporations are buying up these foreclosures in mass and then then renting them out or holding on to them for resale at a later date um, when the market is high again. 
this is having a big impact on the social quality of our neighborhoods. So I, I was just thinking of like sort of a crass way to, you know, drive home this, this idea of it being this, you know, lump of gold that's being traded. You know, I've, I've activated the house so we can have this conversation. We can figure out what happens to people's lives when this happens. You know, there's so much information about what's happened with the bundling of, of mortgages and, and, and balloon mortgages and the situation. But I also am interested in what's the nuts and bolts that make this happen, like in this circumstance. So the house was like beige before, and it was like a light white or, or like a light brown um, um, uh, darker white, um, so it was easy to make gold. This is Amy. Hi. Hi. Amy's helping me set things up. I'm sequencing the slides, uh, which are images that Olga took from around the house, um, looking out. And you're going to project these? Yeah. project them on this wall here. And uh, this, this house just had so many shadows. That's been the other part of the project. Um, it's had three phases. The first one was a performance piece that I did to talk about um, the morality of what it is I'm doing. I think it's very complicated. It questions ownership. It questions the law. It, it, uh, questions the, the you know the motives even of, of Glenda because she took off and went to Kentucky and left it with stuff in it but then at the same time you know I, I'm interested in compassion you know I came into the house and looking around and using the space you know I'm really in and you know, I put the utilities in my name um, so I can use it you put um, the utilities of yes. this house in yes. your name yes but this is not your house I, I'm interested in the idea of adverse possession, actually, which is um, a legal strategy to um, justifiably use abandoned property. I'm interested. It's, it's been some, a law that's on the books for many, many years. A lot of the United States um, operated through squatting, squatters' rights in particular, took land from people just if you, you know, claimed it. And it's, it's, it's interesting because sometimes if you aren't using a plot of land, even if you have the title, it gave justification to taking it simply through uh, occupation or possession. So I became interested, and that's sort of the conceptual part of the piece. And that was my first segment. This second segment is working with this space and the and all the artifacts that were left behind, trying to make sense of them. I painted a large rainbow in here. Um, Patty and Glenda really enjoyed their gay pride. Uh, um, uh, little um, um, rainbow objects that were throughout the house. But they're also, I, I realized there's sponge painting throughout the house. And often it's sponge painting. Here, I'll take you upstairs and show you. It's sponge painting of the sky. And, and I realized that that was something they wanted to see. They wanted to see the sky. And so that, I, I just seemed like a rainbow was a good fit. A lot of the sky painting is inside.
closets and they did this they did that and you did the rainbow i did the rainbow but they did this which made me think about um this sort of vast endless um sublime of the sky and how wanting to look at the sky on the walls of this you know modest house in the middle of the city so i started thinking of that and i was also thinking of the sky paintings mixed with the gay pride insignias that were located in every single room, whether it was like keychains or um, baubles, all sorts of, you know, rainbow-themed objects. So there was always the rainbow and the sky, and that just started to make me think of the Wizard of Oak. And then the final thing is that Glenda. Glenda is the one who got away, and Glenda is the name of the Good Witch. So between those two three things, I started to think of the Wizard of Oz a little bit and wanting to go home, and you could always go home. This is about the loss of a home. Olga, how did you meet this house? Well, I guess that's the other part that implicates me. Um, uh, I guess once Richard moved out, we were there the day he was moving. He stayed a couple of months after um, after Glenda um, moved out and then he said it was too unstable he didn't like the idea so he moved in with his girlfriend so we knew this house was empty what's your name? Lee Gerard and you and Olga know each other how? well uh, she is my partner in life and I guess this January me and Lee had some financial difficulties with our own mortgage and so we were just trying to come up with a way to make things work. We were behind a couple of months. Things were feeling very, very precarious. Yes, that's true. Um, So we started looking into the idea that if she was gonna just let it sit there and um, kind of decay, then we could move in and um, kind of survive the economic downturn that way. So we came up with a scheme that if we go across the street, maybe we could live there and rent out our house. So it was really, that was what brought us in here. Here, I'm going to step away from the sun because it's a little hot. Um, so you, your first phase of this project in being in this house, occupying this house essentially to some degree, was actually entering the house? Like yeah. how did you come in? Well, it was kind of open. And I guess, I guess that was just how... It may, I, I guess it was just like a little bit ajar, and so we just went in. It was just, you know, well, the door wasn't open. It just wasn't locked. So, so. You, you peeked in, yeah, and yeah. so you didn't break and enter, essentially. You just opened the door, right. and, and here you are. And yeah. So the bank took possession of this mm-hmm. house yesterday. So then what happens? Well, there was also a posting on the door that... Um, that uh, it's going for auction on the 27th. But there was also a disclaimer that it was like to notify all potential people interested, you know, it was just, you know, multiple sheets of paper on the door taped. And it did say, um, if any but interested parties um, know that there's this unpredictable element when houses go up for auction, you don't know if there's people in it. And if people are in it, then tenants' rights must apply. So that's one of the things 
Um, meanwhile, for my third phase of the project, I'm bringing in some people who are housing rights activists and anti-foreclosure folks to have a conversation about and have a community conversation about the politics of what's going on. Why would this street have you know, gone through, like, as I started talking to neighbors about what I'm doing, they're like, oh, yeah, that house foreclosed twice. Yeah, that one also twice. You know, it's just like, people aren't swinging it. It's like, what is going on? Like, I, I'm, I'm determined to map the street because it's a really, I mean, it's like maybe 20 houses. It's not a very big block. Um, and then no neighbors at all attended the event. The first performance I did, I had neighbors at, and I have talked about the neighbors, um, to the neighbors, and, you know, they, you know, one commented, I should have it at the Glasshall Park Community Center, why do it in the middle of the neighborhood? I explained that we needed to understand the impact on the way we live and think about houses themselves and maybe, maybe even feel some of what Glenda experienced or lost. Um, by being there in the space and and pick up some of the the residue of of the house. I mean, they seem to understand that because you know then they invited um, me and my family to dinner. So I guess they felt kindly to it, even though they didn't quite get what I was doing, nor did they show up. Um, both them and the other neighbors on on the same side as the street uh, felt like it made it look really nice and that it was elegant and they were afraid it was going to look really kind of, uh, you know, shiny and too loud and it ended up being, you know, kind of nice looking. So they got the... the one the, that did the, all the painting there. Really? The, yeah, the, the rainbow and, yeah. and the gold? Yeah. So you painted, what was that like? I mean, t can you explain what it looks like outside? Oh, it looks like a giant golden nugget. I feel like I'm in Vegas. It's, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a dream come true for me. I, when would I have the opportunity to do something like this? But it's just a beautiful thing. How much paint did you have to use? Oh, we went through probably a, approximately 15 gallons of metallic at $120 a gallon. Yeah, that's not to mention the clear coats, five coats of clear. Did you use a spray can? Um, no, I used an um, airless conventional. Uh, the compressor. Yeah, I actually used an airless, yeah. They took the card of the painters. They liked the job they didn't, so they wanted the, you know, the workers for themselves, you know, for contracts for their own houses. So I guess that's a, a compliment. What are we looking at? These two monitors were here, just like that. And I was like, this is just begging for conversation. So I felt like to understand why I would do something so precarious, like um, start to squat the space, I had to understand, you know, maybe my own, my own feelings or my own um, relationship to home. So what I did is I, I actually taped my sisters, my three sisters talking about home and their different relationships to home, all the same home. And they all have dramatically different relationships to it and understanding of, I don't know of like, what had happened in was, our lives. I, we had, there was, I was still in school, or maybe, no, I was, was I out of college by then? But I remember getting a phone call from a friend of theirs saying, yeah, mom's talking, your mom's talking about having another child. And I'm like, like, 
is my official And I'm teacher. like, really? Like, um, are you kidding? Wait a minute. That's not gonna fix anything. That That's the other thing. This middle project of me making art in the space is trying to bring out the stories of Glenda and Patty in my interpretation and understand can objects show the embodiment of a life lived? Are they more than just stuff? Which is contrary to, you know, a sort of progressive mindset. Ah, it's just stuff. Right. Or then, spirituality yeah. that would say to leave all the material behind us to truly find the essence of what it means to, yeah. to live and be alive and care. At the end of a denim couch in the living room that has a rainbow painted across it and it extends all the way through the house like maybe like the yellow brick road but it goes upstairs it goes through the rooms it goes on the ceilings and the walls and it says please don't leave me on the rainbow and then it comes down the stairs again on the other side of the wall and runs across the denim couch which is up tilted in the living room and on the lower end of the couch there's a black enamel mahogany I guess box I don't know what's in the box actually Lee tells me they thought something was in the box um, and then the box itself um, is is from a crematorium service that was supposed to house Patty's ashes for the longest time, I thought Patty's ashes were actually in there, and so that added to a lot of the emotional content of the piece for me, just really dealing with her passing and them being left in this space. Um, eventually, I, I was feeling an obligation to create a monument, well, not a monument, but like a memorial to her, but it turns out um, she's not in there. They decided finally to open it. Um, I opened up the box and the ashes are empty and it's just a box. So, um, so that's that. <laughs> and I left it on the couch because that's where I found it. Okay, thanks again, Sarah. Um, uh, I, I enjoyed speaking with you. Take care. Bye. To replay this message, press 1. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. You are listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. An archive and a podcast of our shows is at Here in the City, that's H E A R in the City.org. And at KPFK.org, you can like us on Facebook if you like. And visit us at our website, Here in the City.org. And follow us on Twitter. In about three days, four days, fall begins, the autumnal equinox. Well, 100 years ago, on the vernal equinox, right, spring, a very innovative and radical piece of music was performed for the first time in Paris. It was called the Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky. And it was not well received by the audience. 
you know the piece probably. It's been made famous by the Walt Disney film Fantasia. Um, the one movement that we're hearing right now is the one that was played during the rise and fall of the dinosaurs. And the beginning of the birth of the earth. And our arts editor, Jesse Lerner, is going to read a passage for you from one photographer's account of what it was like to be in that concert hall in Paris the day that the audience revolted 100 years ago against the performing of the Rite of Spring. Testing, testing, one, two, testing. I attended the first performance in Paris of Stravinsky's anarchistic ballet, The Sacrifice to the Spring, in which primitive emotions are both depicted and aroused by a dependence on barbarous rhythm, in which melody and harmony, as even so late a composer as Richard Strauss understands them, do not enter. A certain part of the audience, thrilled by what it considered a blasphemous attempt to destroy music as an art, and swept away with wrath, began very soon after the rise of the curtain to whistle, to make catcalls, and to offer audible suggestions as how the performance should proceed. Others of us, who liked the music, and felt that the principles of free speech were at stake, bellowed defiance. It was war over art for the rest of the evening, and the orchestra played on unheard, except occasionally when a slight lull occurred. The figures on the stage danced in time to the music that they had to imagine they heard, and beautifully out of rhythm with the uproar in the auditorium. I was sitting in a box in which I had rented one seat. Three ladies sat in front of me, and a young man occupied the place behind me. He stood up during the course of the ballet to enable himself to see more clearly. The intense excitement under which he was laboring, thanks to the potent force of the music, betrayed itself presently when he began to beat rhythmically on the top of my head with his fists. My emotion was so great that I did not feel the blows for some time. They were perfectly synchronized with the beat of the music. When I did, I turned around. His apology was sincere. We had both been carried away beyond ourselves. Stravinsky was commissioned by the Ballet Russe to compose three ballets, Petrushka, The Firebird, or the first two, and then The Rite of Spring. Oh, and on um, September 28th, the dude, Gustavo Dudamel, will be conducting Stravinsky's Rite of Spring at the Walt Disney Concert Hall.
that's it for our show. Peace. You can find us on the web at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. I'm Sarah Harris. Signing off. To yapping on. When you go in and out, may you have peace and level and safe. Yes. Be safe. Peace.